want to just continue in this spirit for just a moment. Um, there are some Sundays where it's kind of good. We're a, we're a church where we have a lot of people that over the holidays we travel and we're visiting family and we're in other places. There are some, some Sundays where it's really, it's really beautiful that it's kind of just us here. Um, and this morning, there's something that I want us to celebrate. A couple of weeks ago, you might remember that we were celebrating that in our, our matching offering that somebody gave the full $2,500 so that we could give above and beyond what this elementary school asked for. Well, last Monday, we got the total given, and actually two people gave the full $2,500. And in our church, we gave another $1,000 almost. So the total without the church matching given was $5,971.47. So here's what that means. We're giving $12,000 in gift cards to a school that is reaching under-resourced families. Is that not Jesus? Is that not the heart of the kingdom? Now, we already gave them the first 5000 We already gave them what they asked for. But because Walmart is a nightmare and you can't buy $12,000 worth of gift cards just on a Monday, um, we have to order them. So here's what we get to do. We get to meet every need for Christmas in this school. But then the administrators said, you know, we found out last year that oftentimes in, in our schools, the families, they, they really go all out for Christmas. So January is when it gets really tight. January is when it gets really hard. So here's what we were able to do. We are able to give an extra $7,000 to stock a bank of resources so that probably for the year 2022, nobody in that school has to choose between bills and groceries. Amen. Is that not the way of Jesus? Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a minute and pray, but I want us to pray in gratitude, give God glory for the way he's moving, but I also want us to pray that these gift cards are not just money, but that these go as the word of God, which never came back void, that they go in the name of Jesus, that they know that not just some people decided to be nice, but people who believe in Jesus decided to give sacrificially so that his name would be praised and his kingdom would come. This is the year of the kingdom. In fact, this is our last Sunday gathered in the year of the kingdom. What better way to celebrate the last Sunday we're gathered together when we've spent a whole year talking about the kingdom of God than celebrating the fact that our community came together and said kingdom. Kingdom matters more than myself. Kingdom matters more than my values. And we were able to plant a flag in the ground and say the kingdom of God in Greenville. Is that not beautiful? So let's pray. I'm going to pray. Don't listen to me. You pray. You thank God. And you pray that his name goes out in every gift card given. Jesus, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for what you have blessed us. God, we remember that blessing is being used by you, not getting something from you. You have truly blessed us this season. We praise you for that, God. We give you glory that Jesus' name will be known, will be praised, and will be glorified this year because of what you've called us to do, God. And right now I ask that every gift card that's received would be received with a prayer. It would be received in the name of Jesus. You said that anyone who even gives a cup of water to one of these little ones in my name is blessed. God, thank you that we have the opportunity to do what you did and what you called us to do and let hearts be changed, eternities be transformed. Let this be a glimpse of the kingdom of God that is here and still coming. 
We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. And we are so grateful that we get to give. Amen. Uh, I think it's going to be a good morning. I'm super excited about this story that we're reading this morning. This is the last Sunday in the Fire and Wind series. And I know we're not all the way through the book of Acts, but the goal of this series wasn't to go verse by verse through the book of Acts, but was to ask the question, what's the culture of the church? Who are we supposed to be as a church? And this is really the point in the story when the culture is established and the church transitions to pursuing mission. So this is the last, the last story we're going to read in this series. The book of Acts chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 9. While you're turning there, here's what just happened. There's a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's in the Roman army. He works for the bad guys in the Jewish mind. He's part of what would be considered the oppressive army or the occupying force. Cornelius is God-fearing. He believes in Yahweh, but he's not culturally Jewish. He hasn't converted, even though he believes in Yahweh, which probably has something to do with the fact that he's part of the enemy army. So he's not going to convert to the people he's oppressing his culture. That's a little weird. So he is respected. He believes in God, but he's still an outsider to the people of God. He gets a vision, and he's told to send some of his men to go get Peter, a Jewish man who's preaching Jesus so he can learn about the way of Jesus. Now, this is where we're picking up the story. Cornelius has just sent his men to go get Peter. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are, down, or three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Let's pray. God, this is your word. We thank you for it. We praise you for the blessing that your word is every time we read it and every time we hear it. And we ask, as we do often, that your word is what would speak. Your word is what would be remembered. Your name is what would be in our minds. We love you. Amen. Have you ever um, completely missed something in a conversation? Just like absolutely spaced out, totally lost your place? Okay. Um, I want to tell you a story that I love to tell. That I really, honestly, I make any excuse I can to tell this story. So this more or less fits into the sermon. I don't want to tell this story. Um, 
I had a, an acquaintance, a guy I knew in college, who traveled on a ministry team like I did. Um, what that meant was during the summers, we spent about eight weeks living out of a van and in camp, youth camp dorms and bunk beds, and basically living off of like coffee and Red Bull and revenge fantasies against teenagers who hit you in the face with a dodgeball. Like that was what was fueling you for the whole time. And you get to the end of the summer, this guy gets to the end of the summer, and he's exhausted, tired, you're walking around just like a zombie most days, and his last week of the summer is a family camp. So that means there's all ages there. Somehow, in this family camp, he lines up talking with his fiance, with the camp director and his wife, and then with some denominational leaders, some older people, and they're talking, and he is exhausted, like in and out of the conversation already, so tired. And they're talking about Facebook. They're talking about social media. This was like before Instagram. For you elder millennials, this was like right before Vine became a thing, if you remember Vine. Um, This was back in the day. It was just Twitter and Facebook. That's all we had. And they're talking about social media and the dangers of social media and the good of social media, and he just spaces out. Like, when I say space out, I mean spaced out like you don't remember what state you're in. Like, he's just gone, you know. And a few minutes go by, and he realizes, oh, my gosh, it's been a long time since I've said anything. They probably think I'm really rude. I need to say something in this conversation. So he just, like, gets back into the conversation, and he's trying his best just to add something so that they don't know that he has not been paying attention at all. So they were talking about Facebook, right? So he says... Well, you know, it has its benefits, but I try not to use it very often. And the look of absolute mortification on everyone's face told him he had missed something. Because while he was in another dimension, the conversation had shifted from Facebook to internet pornography. (laughs) Which he had just said, it has its benefits. I try not to use it too often. Now, here's why I bring that up besides the fact that I think that's a funny story and I like to tell it. I've illustrated this a whole bunch of different ways, a bunch of different times, and I'm going to keep illustrating this point. The Bible is written oftentimes about the Bible. The Bible assumes knowledge of the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean in order for you to understand it, you have to have read the whole thing, but that means there are things in the story sometimes that you'll miss out on if you're not familiar with the rest of the story. So Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he was writing to a group of people whose only scriptures were the Old Testament. And that means these guys studied the Old Testament. They studied the laws. They studied the prophecies. This was all they had. They were hearing the stories of Jesus. They were living out the story of the book of Acts, right? They were living in that time, and they were studying the Old Testament. And there are themes in scripture that lead up to this moment that if we don't see these themes then we might miss the significance of this story. There are two of those. Here's the first one. The first theme that is included in Scripture cover to cover that culminates in this moment, not really culminates, but is exemplified in this moment, is that God has, from the beginning, been showing his people the right way to live. He's been showing his people what is right and what is wrong. Now, when I say right and wrong, don't think like ambiguous list of things that make God mad. Think good and bad, beautiful, dangerous. These are the things that make the world better. These are the things that make the world worse. And while he has been doing that, he has been inviting people in. 
He has been inviting people into the way. From the beginning, God has been showing us the way to live, and he's been inviting anyone who would be willing to follow into that. This is important. God didn't change his mind at Jesus. The story culminated with Jesus. God has been telling us the whole time, this is the way you're invited. And in fact, from the very beginning, God calls a guy named Abraham. The people of Israel are established. And he says, through you, I will make a nation. And through you, all nations will be blessed. In other words, from the beginning, God was showing a way and inviting people in. Jesus is the exclamation point on the end of the sentence that says, for eternity, everyone is invited. So God has been showing the way and inviting people in. Here's the other theme. Human beings take what God does and we use and we turn it into barriers based on what we do. This is the dual tension of scripture. God shows the way and then we say, "We live the way. You have to live up." God invites and we exclude. You can think about it like this. God, from the beginning, has been making a map. All right? This is a map. This is a map of the Indian Ocean. So it's not necessarily relevant, but it's the map that I had for this illustration this Sunday. So this is the map. God has been saying, Scripture might call it like this. He's making a way in the wasteland. There's sin. This is a dangerous, harmful world. There's suffering. But there is a way. There's a way to find purpose in the pain. There's a way to find joy in the midst of the suffering. There is a way. There is a right way, and there is a wrong way. And God has been giving this map to anyone who will trust that that map is the way. He's been doing that from the beginning, and he did that finally and for eternity in Jesus, so that anyone who would trust the way is invited in. God has been making a way. He's been making a map from day one. But here's what human beings have been doing since day one. We have been taking the way... And we've been building a gate. In other words, we say, this is the way, and I live in the right way. So if you want in, you have to live in the right way. Show me that you live up, and I'll let you in the gate. This is what's going on with Peter. God is revealing something to Peter. God is moving. He is saying, I call things clean and unclean. In other words, God is doing something. And Peter's reaction is, I have never. Peter's response to what God is doing is to focus on what he is doing. Peter says, God, I have never touched anything unclean. In other words, unclean is the gate. Anyone who has can't come in until they stop. Because the gate becomes what we do. We make an insider's club that says, if you live up, I will let you in. We become bouncers at the gate of the way of Jesus. And here's what we have to know. Every time our eyes focus on what we do instead of what God does, the result is exclusion, legalism, and prejudice. Exclusion, legalism, and prejudice. It always becomes, I'm not like them. When they become like me, they can get in. When it's about what I do, then people have to do what I do to get in. 
what we do becomes the barrier. Now, this is an eternal contrast between human nature and between the way of God. I think think this is why that happens. And this is a little bit of conjecture, but I think this is why that happens. I think somewhere along the way, we get confused and we think that the gift is the work. We get what God gives us confused for something we have to do to earn something. Here's what I mean. We convince ourselves that, let's say, sacrificial generosity is something we have to do to earn something from the Lord. So we say, if I give enough, then I'll get another jewel in my crown. If I give enough then God will unleash blessing on me. If I sow a seed of faith, then I will reap a harvest of abundance. Or we say, well, maintaining physical sexual purity in a dating relationship, well, that's the work so that I can earn God's favor. That's the work. So then we do the work and we feel like we deserve something. And then when other people didn't do the work, what do we feel like? They didn't deserve it. We look at other people and we say, well, they deserve exactly what they're getting. I did the work. I've been living in generosity. I have never told a lie in my life. We view going to church as the work so that we can earn inner circle status in the kingdom of God. I've been doing the work. I deserve to reap the benefits. But here's the truth of the way of Jesus, friends. The work was done on the cross so that you can receive the gift of the life you were created to live. In other words, the work was the death and resurrection of Jesus that paid the price so that you can receive the gift of living generously. Why? Because generosity is the way. Generosity is the way. It's the right way to live. It's not something we do to earn the way. It is part of the way. Jesus has made a way for us to receive the life we were created for. We don't prove our allegiance to God by maintaining physical or emotional purity. No, we receive the gift of God in salvation so that we can pursue the beauty of living a life, not in bondage to anything. The work is actually the gift. Why? Because Jesus made the way. Jesus earned the thing for us. We are invited to live in his way. His way is not meant to be easy because easy isn't worth it, but his way is beautiful because he did the work. He is the gate, and the gate is open to all who believe so that God could show us the way. And every time we focus on what we do, we start to focus on what we get, what we earn, and what we deserve. And if I deserve something, then you might not deserve it. If I deserve something, then you might not earn it. If I did the work and you didn't, it always leads, it always leads to exclusion, legalism, and prejudice. When my eyes are on what I do and not what God has done. Jesus said it a little bit like this. He tells a parable that's sometimes called the parable of the vineyard owner. He said, there was a, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who owned a vineyard. And he wakes up at sunrise and hires workers to work his vineyard. And he pays them a day's wage. 
Then he goes back out at 9 a.m. And he hires more workers, and he offers them a day's wage. Then he goes out at noon, and he hires more workers, and he offers them a day's wage. And then he goes in the middle of afternoon until finally he goes out right before sunset. So the last people are really only working an hour or so, and he pays them a day's wage. He pays everybody the same. And as you can imagine, the people who got up at sunrise and started working in this vineyard are ticked. I've been working for 12 hours, and you paid me the same as that guy who worked for 45 minutes. And it's not hard to read in the story. It's not hard to assume in the story that the guy who worked for 45 minutes is probably a little uncomfortable because he knows he doesn't deserve it. But it's the the answer of the vineyard owner that makes all the difference because he says, who are you to tell me what I can do with what's mine? Are you offended that I would be generous? Why? Because it's not about what we do. It's about what he did. He made the way. That's why we see this interchange between Peter and between the Lord. I have never, do not call what I have made what we do and what God does. Now for a lot of us, for myself, and my guess is if you've been a Christian for more than like 25 minutes, then you've probably struggled with this too, of looking at somebody else and saying like, yeah, I mean, you don't quite deserve this yet. For a lot of us, that's how it manifests. In fact, we don't have to look harder in the world around us to see all the lines that we draw that say, get in, by getting it. You gotta shape up and then you can get in the gate. Now it's worth noting that the way is still the way. But but we walk the way of Jesus because we're already invited in, not to earn the invite. There's still right and wrong, but you're invited to live it because Jesus Christ earned the way for you. It's not to say everything's fine and we can do what we want. It's to say everyone's invited to walk the way. Now, some of us, we draw those lines against other people. But honestly, just playing the odds of any group of Christians where there are like two Christians in a room, there are probably two Christians who have at some point not just used what we've done to invalidate others. We've looked at ourselves and excluded ourselves. Can you imagine what this story would be like if Cornelius, Cornelius, remember, he was a a leader in the enemy army. He He was a leader in the occupying force. If he would have said, no, 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 no. I'm part of the enemy. I can't be invited in. I'm not going to send people to talk to Peter. I know how Peter feels about me. I'm his enemy. Jews and Gentiles, they don't hang out. Jews and Gentiles aren't friends. He's never going to come over to my house. In fact, just so you know, it was considered for Jewish people more inappropriate for them to go into a Gentile's house than for a Gentile to go into their house. And later on in the story, Peter decides to go with the men sent to Cornelius' home to be a guest, to be on the receiving end of Cornelius' generosity, which is a whole nother sermon. So often we look at ourselves and we say, I could never. I can't live up. 
You can't love me. You can't use me. God, I could never share my faith. I could never love somebody else. God, I could never even be accepted. I could never lead. Look at what I have done. God, you couldn't really love me. You couldn't really love me because of what I have done. God, you can't actually forgive me. Look at what I keep doing. And if that is you, then God's response to you is the same thing as it was to Peter. Do not call unclean what I have made clean. God looks at you and he says, don't you call yourself unclean. I have made you clean. I did the work. You didn't have to. I've invited you to the way, but I did the work. I earned it. And God doesn't give back what he has earned. Do not call unclean what he has made clean. Be that you or anyone else. All are invited in to the way. This is so important for the people of God. Listen, we have spent the last like three months talking about building blocks to the culture of the kingdom. We've talked about the Holy Spirit as the motivation and the power of the church. We've talked about the message of the church that's just Jesus. We've talked about the role of the church to bear witness. We've talked about how the church responds to messy people, how the church responds to its own resources, how Christians respond to difficult situations. We've talked about all of these different things that are core building blocks to the kingdom of God. But if we do not get this right, we will become an exclusive club that does not reflect Jesus. What we do will look nothing like Christ if we are only focused on what we do and not what he did. If we take all of the cultural building blocks of the church and we say this is who we are and this is what we do and we don't understand that it is all couched in what he did so anyone's invited in, then we become an exclusive club that does not reflect the kingdom of God but reflects the kingdom of us. It will not be the year of the kingdom if we don't understand he is the king, he earns citizenship, and he invites in. Church, we live in a world of people, Christians and non, who want to be bouncers at the gate of the way. We want to decide who gets in and who doesn't. But Jesus has created us to be guides with a map, inviting any who will believe into the way. This is the role of the fold. This is the role of every church, that we look at the world around us and we say, are you lost? There's a way. Are you alone? Let me show you the way. Come with me. Do you feel like you can never find your way out of this situation? There is a way. It's been earned for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have the, the, there's a gift of a beautiful life for you to live, a life with joy in the midst of suffering, purpose in the midst of pain, peace that passes understanding. There is a life in which the inbreaking kingdom of heaven gives us a glimpse and a glimmer here in this life. That life is available to you in the way of Jesus, and you are invited. We are guides with a map, not bouncers at the gate. Why? Because Jesus is the gate, and he is open to all of So the question is simple this morning. Who is it that you're not letting in? Who is it that I'm not letting in? Is it yourself? Do you keep looking internally at your own struggles, at your own shortcomings and say, Jesus would never? Do you need to hear Jesus say, I have made you clean? 
Do you need to look at a family member or a friend? Or do you need to look at someone from high school who has made every mistake you promised you wouldn't? And you need to say, I didn't get in because of Jesus. I was invited into the way. I, I got in because of Jesus. So they can get in too. Do you need to quit drawing lines of exclusion to people from your past? To people that you've been comparing your story to their story and saying, at least I did and at least I don't? You need to go to them and say, there's a way. And not to say, shape up. Because this is where God's calling us. 2022 is not going to be like the year of joy or the year of purpose or the year of anything. The whole year of the kingdom thing was very specific for 2021. And I believe it's been really important. But I believe we have to understand that no matter where we go and what we do, we have to be people who are invitational. We are inviting people into the way not guarding the gate of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that by your work, you have invited us all in. That it is based on what you did, not what we did. It is based on who you are, not who we are. We thank you that we can trust your work I thank you that you have invited us into a beautiful life where we have the privilege of walking in your way. God, make us people of invitation. Make us guides with a map, joyfully inviting people into the way of Jesus, not bouncers at the gate trying to compare and contrast who deserves entrance. Jesus, form your character into our hearts. Because our world needs transformation and you know we can't do it. It will only come when we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, live like you. Make us into your image, Jesus.